Welcome to another episode of the Fifth Quarter Conversations Beyond the X's and O's with Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman. And joining us today from Arkansas is Coach Luke Gromer, uh, coach, podcast host. Uh, got a lot of things going on right now, Luke. So uh, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far as a coach. And 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 let's get let's start with that. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk coaching and basketball with you guys. Uh, yeah, so I have a lot going on. You know, as you were saying that, the other thing that was in my mind was I also have a two and a half year old and another uh, one on the way in January. So I was like, man, you know, those things, I have those things going on, but the kids, sometimes uh, the, those things are are even more in this stage of life. But uh, yeah, like you said, I uh, coach uh, and teach um, in Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, ninth grade English and ninth grade basketball. And to make a long story short, I was really fortunate to just have some incredible coaches in my uh, athletic journey. And, you know, I was also really fortunate to have um, a dad who, especially as I got older into high school, um, just realized uh, what a good sports parent was too and and shifted away from um, any any kind of type of pressure. And it was really just, I love to watch you play. And, um, and, so, and so that was a, a part of it too. I had just a perfect match of, of really awesome coaches and really supportive parents. And so you know, I was not a great athlete by any means. I went to a smaller private school. And so I played soccer, basketball, baseball all through high school. And so it was just one season the next, but I loved it. And, you know, definitely one of those athletes that, uh, one wasn't very athletic. So I had to find a way to contribute, um, in other ways, uh, usually with, with my mind. Um, and was also like, I was the kid that coaches enjoyed having on their team. Um, cause, cause I, I bought into what they're asking us to do usually. And so, um, go to college, um, considered maybe playing some, some lower level baseball, but then realized, you know, I just didn't really want that to rule my life. And as I was, uh, finishing up my college, um, I had been studying education and, got into my student teaching, had a chance to volunteer with a junior high basketball team um, when I was doing that and just realized like, man, I really love this coaching side of it too. And it, it kind of always been in the back of my mind that I could kind of see myself doing it. Uh, but then once I started doing it, I was like, man, this is fun. And so fast forward, um, you know, get a, get a teaching job, start coaching alongside of it. And have been doing that for, I think this fourth year doing that. Um, but to give just a little more context to, uh, the podcast and uh, kind of the journey I've been on lately, um, I, I kind of stumbled into it. And so about three years ago, I was actually on my couch, um, in my wife and I's apartment at the time, listening to a couple TEDx talks. And, um, I watched these talks and I was like, these are great. You know, I bet Fayetteville, it's a college town. I bet we've had a TEDx event here. So I found this TEDx Fayetteville website, and on that website, there was a form that just said, are you interested in speaking? You know, fill this out. Tell us what you'd be interested in talking about. And so just kind of on a whim, I filled this form out and just put in there that I'd be interested in talking about the need for coach education. Um, just as I was getting into it, it was just like mind-blowing, right, that these people with massive platforms, uh, there's just almost no – there's just – there's no education required for them. Um, or if there is, it's very minimal and 
you know, these people with massive platforms, coaches, right? Just because you have the title coach, you have this massive platform. Um, and the qualifications are usually breathing and maybe a pulse. And it, and it's just like, man, this is crazy. And, and part of it was from that place of like, I had such a good experience because I had great coaches and it, it pains me to know that there are so many kids that that's not happening for not just young kids, but, but kids at that junior high, high school. And I think even, um, above that level. And so back to, I filled out this form and then a year and a half after I filled out that form, I get an email saying, are you still interested in speaking? And to be honest with you, I'd forgotten that I ever filled out the form, but I respond and I'm like, yeah, this would be awesome. And so I go and talk with these ladies that are organizing it. And I just share some of my thoughts and some of the research behind the need for coach education. And then they say, yeah, we'd love to have you give this talk. And I thought to myself, shoot, uh, I'm really not the person that should give this talk. I have minimal experience and I'm not sure why anyone would listen to me. If I'm being totally honest, that's what was going through my mind. And then a week later, COVID hit and shut the world down. And then I'm like, I don't even know if this is going to happen at all. And, and so just kind of like, it's, it's probably dead. Uh, a few months later, they're like, hey, we're still going to do the event. It's going to be a virtual event. So get your talks ready. And I was like, okay, well, it's happening. Um, this is a crazy opportunity um, to give a TEDx talk. So I'm going to try to make it awesome. And so I just started emailing, DMing, connecting with any coaches, uh, researchers, authors, anybody that I could just asking to interview them um, about this topic of coach education and effective coaching. And, you know, I think the reason that most people opened my email was because the subject line was just TEDx talk. And I'm guessing most of them thought, oh, shoot, I'm about to give a TEDx talk. And then they opened right. it. Oh my goodness, this is just like some guy that wants to interview me. Um, but they were so many people were so, so gracious and just, you know, offered an hour of their time. It was, it was kind of the perfect timing too, because it was during COVID and people were used to Zoom and it and it it just like the stars aligned a little bit in that as well. Um, but but again, long story short, the talk uh got delayed multiple times due to COVID. It still never happened. It may never happen. I don't even know at this point. Um but to this point, um, so I guess it's been probably 15, 16 months um, since I first started doing interviews. I think I've done, I don't know, I've kind of lost count. I think I'm over 60, 50 to 60 um, interviews with coaches, authors, researchers, you, you name it, have, have just been talking to people about the topic. And so back in April, um, I had amassed a lot of these interviews and I was like, you know, it's, I don't know if this talk's going to happen, so I'm just going to start sharing them now. And so started sharing those conversations on uh, the Coaches Club podcast and have just kind of slowly been um, building that up and just release an episode weekly. And again, kind of like I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, the most fun part has just been getting to uh, ask coaches the questions that I actually have. And just that really it's my journey of learning and growing and just getting to share that with other coaches has been really, really fun. And yeah, I, I, I think, um, there's been, um, some, some pretty, uh, cool things that have come of it too. Just the, the people I've gotten to connect with and, and some opportunities that have, have sprung up from it. And, and really too, like, as I 
was preparing for that talk that I never gave and doing these interviews, it just really ignited in me um, a passion for coach education, uh, for me to grow personally, but then to share that with other people. And so, yeah, that's, that's really kind of been the journey of the last year and a half or so. Um, it, it's been, it's been fun and I'm just kind of excited to, to keep going with it and see where it, where it goes. No, that is exciting. And I can definitely resonate with what you were feeling around that time of COVID because, you know, as I was, you know, as we were building out the virtual clinics that we were doing, you know, it was funny. You, you would reach out to these coaches and I kind of had my dream list of people that, you know, we wanted to have speak and everybody was like, well, I've got nothing else better to do right now. So yeah, I've, I've got, a, I've got some time. Let's yeah. do this. And so it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, oh man, this is, this. I've got this dream list of coaches yeah. that, you know, we can have on, on the, on the clinic. But at a certain point, I started to get this epiphany that, you know, in some ways the clinics are, are teaching, we're just giving fish versus teaching coaches how to fish. What are your what are your thoughts there? Do you, does that resonate with you, or what do you think? Yes. Here's uh, a couple thoughts on that. The, the first is this: uh, I've I've been pretty involved with PGC basketball over the last few years. They do a lot of great stuff, and uh, a phrase that they love to use with their athletes at, at their sessions is the biggest gap in the world is the gap between knowing and doing. And there's no shortage of content that we can consume as coaches, right? Like, I mean, I, I put out content every week for coaches, like there's content everywhere. This is content for coaches to consume. And that's good. Like it is amazing that there's so much content, but really it is, are we applying anything? And I think part of the thing is like, uh, can we narrow our focus enough to apply one thing at a time? Um, because there's so much content you can take in but it really is about what are you actually going to intentionally apply? I'll share one more thought on that too. Um, and we can maybe get into this a little bit more later, but long story short, I um, wrote the study guide to Doug Lamov's new book, The Coach's Guide to Teaching with him. And there's so much in that book, but, but one of my favorite quotes from the whole book is Doug says, uh, the teaching happens when we talk. Uh, the learning happens when and if athletes attempt to apply the ideas and just apply that to coaches, right? Uh, the the teaching happens when you hop on the virtual clinic, when you listen to the podcast, but the learning for us as coaches happens when we attempt to apply those ideas. And so that's what really gets me excited is giving giving coaches some some real things that they can go take and apply and that they can struggle through, that they can learn through, that they can get feedback on. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you're you're right on there, that it really is, it's great to consume content, but we've got to be applying it or it's just kind of noise. And, and honestly, sometimes I think it might do more harm than good if we're not taking kind of a narrow focus of, hey, I'm going to take this and try to apply it. No, that's a great point. And I definitely want to come back to, to, to the story with Doug Lamov because I think that's a big part of what you're doing and, and and the work and what I love about your work. So you're a ninth grade coach. You're 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 coaching in a in a system with a varsity. Is it a ninth grade junior varsity and varsity? Yeah. So and and I'll even so I'm I'm an assistant on one of the ninth grade teams. We're biggest classification in Arkansas. Um, there's a varsity, JV, sophomore, and two ninth grade teams at our high school. Um so maybe maybe now uh, frame your question for me again, knowing that. Yeah, yeah. So knowing okay. So knowing that, 
talk about you know the trying to balance teaching with winning because obviously your head coach is wanting to make sure that the players at your level are getting the fundamentals and are you're you're basically in the foundation for them to be able to grow and to be able to at some point contribute and play at a varsity level what, yeah. what are your thoughts there yeah uh you know the the head coach that i assist with i love i love one of the things he says often is um I want to win because the kids want to win. And that's really true, right? Like every ninth grader that we've have on our team, like they really want to win. And, it, and it's great. Um, I'm competitive, but I, like you said there, my perspective really, especially on ninth grade or if you've got seventh, eighth grade teams, it's really how can we set them up for the most success when they're 11th and 12th graders and maybe beyond too. And so a big piece of that should be uh, an, an aligned, if you want to call it basketball curriculum, right? So what what these guys are getting in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever it is, is aligned with what we want them to be able to do as 11th and 12th graders. You know, I love the idea of essentially just starting with your um, your ideal player as a senior. You know, what is my ideal senior? No basketball knowledge wise, what can they do skill wise, right? Um, what's the language that I want them to understand as part of our system. And then to just kind of, uh, plan from that, take, go backwards. Right. So in 11th grade, I want them to add these things 10th and, and it's not always perfect. in as in high school, you've got ninth or 10th graders, maybe playing with your varsity teams. Like that's, that's part of it. But but what is that ideal player at the end, and and what are kind of those benchmarks that we want to make sure that they, you know, understand as they progress through your system? I think that's really important, and that's that's just one of our big focuses in the ninth grade is how can we prepare them for that next step in their basketball journey? And, and honestly, too, a, a big thing that um, I, I'm passionate about is you know I I really think that uh, a successful ninth grade season is every kid gets better. And, and hopefully every kid wants to play again next year. Um, it, and we're competitive, right? Like, and that is a piece too. Like we, we want to win, um, performance is a part of what we do. Like it's, it's okay to, to focus on that and talk about it. Hopefully our, our focus and emphasis is still on the process, right? But, but we want to be able to achieve high performance and give them a great experience at the same time. And so I, I don't know if I answered your question totally. Um, but I would, I would wrap it up with, yes, the focus very much is on, you know, how do we prepare them that next step in their journey and a big piece of that is let's make sure that we're uh, aligned synced up with what's what's supposed to be taught when um and, and i think just a massive piece of it I, I mentioned it is the language we're using let's make sure that we are um, using consistent language throughout their journey in your program uh, just because we know cognitive science that that is a huge huge piece of of learning and uh, reducing the load on our athletes working memory um um, when they have that language encoded, right? So that their their mental energy isn't focused on something new or sorry, their mental energy isn't focused on um, language they don't know, but it can actually be focused on that skill or concept that you want them to learn. Luke, we, uh, before we started, we were talking about Arkansas and Fayetteville this weekend. And I'm going to ask Layson because you probably will get my answer, but Layson Perkins, the best movie, 
about the University of Arkansas football is? Uh, the one about the uh, walk-on football player that eventually that yeah I, I can't I can't I know it I can't remember the name of it now but that's it. Luke, would you uh, agree? Let me be honest with you, Jeff. I've never watched the movie, but oh. I know, and honestly, uh, what's it called? Uh, greater. It's called Greater. greater. Yes. Nice pull. Um, you guys are a team. Yes, it's, there we it's go. a great movie. A lot of fun about the walk on Burlesworth really, yes. really fun. To I mean, watch. he's got a, like, he's got his picture up in the stadium and stuff like know who he is, know a little bit about the story, but I'll be honest, I haven't watched the movie yet. Well, best, yeah. the best part is, is Houston not being in the movie, yeah. you know, uh, that scene on the field where, you know, it, it, Hey, that took a lot of uh, humility on his part to do that. Yeah. I've heard nothing but great things about, about Houston nuts. So I, uh, a good family friend of my wife and I's, he, uh, he played for the Razorbacks under, under coach nut. And just to like, uh, you know, plug about coach nut, like, uh, this family friend of ours, he, uh, he was traveling down to Texas for something. I think that's where coach nut lives at this point. And like, he stayed at coach nuts house. Like he was just like, yeah, come stay with me. So, um, it doesn't like shock me that he was willing to do that based on what I've heard about him as a person. Definitely both of you is homework assigned is to watch it. It's, <laughs> it's a really feel good movie, but uh, Luke, I want to go back to even before this, when you were talking about your dad and, you know, Lason and I parents and coached our sons and maybe give me your insight on what makes a great sports parent in terms of education, that relationship, maybe not even as a coach, their son or daughter, but as a parent and that relationship with sports to tie it all in. Yeah. I think I'll start by saying this. I think that sports parents get a bad rap uh, for a few reasons. One, I think the vast majority of them are, are actually pretty great. It's just really easy to remember the few that were really difficult. I also think that, that every uh, parent really does want what's best for their kid. Um, I think that what what can often happen, and I don't think this is specific to just sports when it comes to parenting, and, and I'm young on my parenting journey, but I spent some time reading, learning, and, and kind of reflecting on this, is that as, as parents, um, if we don't understand our own story and life narrative, it's really hard for us to help our kids make sense of theirs. And I, I say that to kind of connect this back to the sports parenting of, I think that there is often a lot of pressure that gets put on athletes by their parents, often unintentionally. And again, often with the best of intentions from their parents of wanting their kids to succeed. Um, but I think often how it's interpreted from athletes is as pressure. And for the most part, athletes really want to please their parents. Actually, this last basketball season, um, the coach, the coach that I work with and I were, were very intentional about having some time, uh, in a classroom setting where we set our standards and we contextualize them. Like, okay, what does it look like for us to be, you know, all out in the classroom and um, before practice, during practice? Like we, we go through it, like this is what we're looking for. And one of the unique things we did this last season, and I can't remember who I got the idea from, was we actually spent the last part of our time in this team meeting and we said, hey guys, 
what does excellence look like from your parents? And we really just gave him three contexts, I believe. It was dur- uh, during a game, uh, when a ref makes a bad call, and after a game. We just said, hey, what are the top three things that you would you want to see from your parents in these contexts? And and, and they just shared three really good things, right? You know, with when a ref makes a bad call, it's like, you know, move on. Don't yell at them. Like, stay positive. And, and the the really interesting one was that last part after the game is over. And, and what they shared was, um, don't don't talk about my performance is one of the things they said. Said like I, I don't really want to talk to you about my performance after the game. Um, don't badmouth my teammates. And honestly, I'm I'm forgetting what the third one was. But they were just really insightful things from these ninth graders about what they were looking for from their parents. And then in our parents meeting, we shared them with them. We said, hey, this is what your son said they wanted you to be like this season. And you can imagine the response from the parents is like, oh, okay. Like, this is what my son wants. And, and, and we framed it too after like we showed them what the standards they set for themselves were. And they said, and this is what they're asking from you. And so we asked that um, from you as well as the coaches, like show up in this way. Right. And it, and it was really simple, but like, just do these few things. And I think that that's just a really powerful way for, for coaches and, and athletes to kind of get on the same page with parents about how we can give kids a positive experience ultimately. And then I would also add this, and and I kind of mentioned it earlier when I was talking about my journey, one of the the most powerful thing a sports parent can do is just show up is is to show up go watch your kid play and then don't coach them after and just tell them i, I love to watch you play i'm proud of you I, I loved watching you play and and that's the thing that i'm so grateful for um in my journey is that that's the place that my dad moved to you know when i was a little bit younger and he he coached um some of my baseball teams or was assistant on there and i felt that pressure at times right like practice ended and we got in the truck and he's he's talking to me about my swing i don't want to talk about it right and and so then I would I would just add that little nugget in there too. If you are a sports parent that's also a coach, just recognize when you need to wear what hat, right? At practice, you're the coach. Have have your kid call you coach. When practice ends, you're parent again. Like just leave leave the rest of it at practice. Is there anything anything that I missed in there, Jeff? Any follow up questions you have to that? No, I think you touch on a lot of great points and. I always think, and Layson and I have talked because we've both actually have coached at, at some level our, our young ones, but I think the ride home, Luke, is the biggest thing, you know, and again, the greatest gift is, yeah, the greatest present is being present, but that ride home, and, and, I, and again, coaching college, winning was important or you didn't get paid, but at that level, my first thing was, hey, did you have fun, you know? Did you have fun today? It was great, you know, and I remember rides with my dad and I would never ask. He would never really tell me what he thought of my game unless I asked him. And if I asked him like, hey, dad, really tell me what you think. Well, then it was fair game that he could tell me I didn't go to the glass. I didn't do certain things. But I think that ride home, you know, win or lose. Hey, we're going for ice cream. Did you have fun? It was great watching you. I'm proud of you. I love you. 
all of those things that you touched on, I think, you know, were, were so important. Yeah. Yeah. And let me add one thing there. I, I had that chance to interview Sue Inquist. She won a ton at UCLA with their softball program, um, multiple national championships. I think it might be 11. I don't even know. Um, she was she was also the uh, special advisor to the head coach for the USA women's volleyball team at this last Olympics. I was watching the women's volleyball team uh, play in the Olympics, and then they showed sh- Coach Inquist in the stands like, holy moly, I've talked to her. This is kind of crazy. Um, but I had a chance to talk to her. And one of the things she shared on this topic of parents was how important it is for parents to learn and be educated on discussions around, I believe she called it uh, process success and essentially questions like, um, did you have fun today? Um, what was your effort like, right? Asking questions that are less about the, the individual performance and more about that character that we want them to develop, right? Um, the, the, commitment to a process of getting better. I think that that's, that's a key thing for parents to be able to discuss with their, with their kids is, yeah, tell me about how you showed up. What kind of teammate were you in that game? Who, who else did you notice that was a great teammate in your game? Like have those conversations. Uh, I think your, your kids, while it might be awkward and uncomfortable at first, um, would actually be more, uh, more apt to have those conversations versus the conversations about their performance or, you know, their teammates performance. Yeah. And I would say as they get older, you can tell the parents, that are living through their kids' athletic careers, that they're dreaming of the scholarship or, you know, they would have made that shot or, you know, coach doesn't do this. And and in recruiting kids, you look at them and you identify who the crazy parent is. And, uh, and they better be really special because we all recognize those parents in the stands and uh, I think Sue, I've been around Sue a couple times and have listened to her. And for those people that haven't, YouTuber, she is as successful as a coach, but a better person. And her message is is just spot on. And I think she walked away from UCLA after numerous championships and she left on top. She was yeah. really, really good. But I want to get to one thing you talked about, how you were the coach's kid and and you had the buy-in and Layson and I fit into that category too. But maybe give our listeners, Luke, how do you get the kids that don't have that buy-in that need to get the buy-in? How do you handle that? And then maybe part B is with the parent that doesn't like the role, that they don't have the buy-in. So it's not getting reinforced at home. Yeah. Okay. If I had a perfect answer to this, I think I'd, I'd be a millionaire, but I'll, I'll share, uh, cause I don't think there's a perfect answer to this. It's, I think that's the great, it's the right question. It's a great question, but man, it's hard. Uh, I think I'll share a few thoughts around essentially, right? How do we get athletes to invest, take ownership, buy into what we're doing, our vision, our values, I think it starts with, and I kind of mentioned earlier, is actually co-creating your culture, your standards, your values. Uh, I love this idea 
just this language that that again Doug Lamov use uses in the coach's guide to teaching. He talks about the importance of culture being both intentionally created and shared. That as a coach, we should have a vision, right? And then we should share that vision. And when I say share the vision, it really is allowing your athletes to speak into what it looks like to bring that to life. You know, and it, it's interesting, you know, we've sat down in this classroom multiple times at the beginning of a season and, and gone through that exercise that I mentioned earlier, where we just contextualize our values and standards and inevitably, and, and maybe some of it is because they still are in that stage where they care about pleasing their coaches, but inevitably they share the things that we we want them to share or the things that we have in our mind around the kind of team we want them to be the way we want them to play. And so I think that that is the first step is, is actually co-creating this culture um, and, and bringing it to life with them. And I think that will get a lot of kids on your bus. It won't get everyone. And that is when coaching gets really hard and there are often uh, a lot of uncomfortable conversations that need to happen. And I think that's where I would, where I would start is we've got to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations with the athlete that isn't buying in, right. That's not meeting the standards that we have mutually agreed to some conversations that are, that are, that are two things, right. That are firm in holding the standard. Um, but that are also compassionate in really trying to understand what's the root cause of what's going on. There's a reason that they're struggling to uphold your standard. And I'm actually, uh, in the process of reading a book by, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry, and it's called What Happened to You, and he's a leading researcher on trauma. And essentially, the premise of this book is that oftentimes, you know, in any space, the question that we ask when someone isn't conforming to you know, the norms that we have for them or that we expect, the question we ask is, what is wrong with this person? But what we should be asking is, what happened to this person? what happened to you. And I think that that's an important way or important thing for us to keep in our mind when we inevitably encounter um, athletes that give us resistance that aren't buying into our vision. And where do you go from that? Again, I think it's having some honest, some, some firm um, and loving conversations with them about the expectations. Um, and, and hopefully one of the things that you've done when you've set those standards is that you've also uh, kind of co-agreed to some consequences um, of, hey, if if you fail to uphold these standards, this is this is um, the consequence for it. and and I'm not I'm not a fan of of those consequences being physical punishment. I just think it's a waste of time. I think your athletes hate it. I think it'll end up hurting relationships, but I think there are other things that we can do um, to have those consequences so that we can hold those standards. And one of the primary ones is just, look, if, if you can't uphold these standards, um, then, then maybe you can't be a part of practice. And if you can't be a part of practice, then you can't play, right? 
And so having those honest conversations with the athlete, Hey, it seems first, like, it seems like you're struggling to uphold the standard. You know, how can I, how can I support you in that? Is there something I can do, um, to help you meet this standard? Right. I think having those conversations when we come into it genuinely curious as the coach, like what's going on here? Um, you know, is there is there an issue between me and this athlete? Is there an issue between them and someone else? Can we figure out what the root cause is? Can we help them find some solutions? You know, I think it's easy as coaches to you know, we've got the kid that is habitually late to practice or coming in right as we're going to start. And it's just annoying. Right. Um, and instead of helping them find a solution to show up on time, it's way easier to just write the kid off. This kid's not committed. This kid doesn't care, whatever it is. But I think what is actually more important, and if we want to get those kids to buy in, is to have a conversation where you say, hey, it seems like you're really struggling to get here on time. It's really important that you're here on time, ready to practice. That's one of our standards. What is something that you could do to make sure that you get to practice on time, right? Or what is it that's preventing you from getting to practice on time? Like maybe it's their parents and their work schedule, right? And it's something that we actually need to be empathetic about. And there's a legitimate reason. Um, maybe it's just that they don't have some of the the adult skills that they need. Like, coach, I forget to set my alarm. Okay. Like we've, here's what we're going to do. Like you're going to set a reminder every day at night to set your alarm for the morning, right? Like, we, we need to have more of those conversations where we actually help them find solutions. Um, and, and then, you know, Jeff, I guess to the end of your question, um, there's been a, a couple instances where we had to, to draw a line in the sand and, and say to an athlete like this, this team isn't for you anymore. Um, uh, you've, you've failed to uphold these standards multiple times and, um, and, and you've lost your opportunity to be a part of this team. And that sucks, man. I, that, that sucks to, to say that to a kid. Um, it is that really hard place of, I want to help this kid because this kid needs to be a part of a team. They need to be a part of a group that, um, has the potential to positively impact their life. Um, but if I keep them around, it's contaminating the experience for the other 15 guys. And that's hard. You know, I, I think coaches were probably too quick to cut bait on kids. Um, I think we should um, do our best to make it work and to support them. Uh, but, but there does come a point where it, it just is not good for anyone. And, and there probably needs to be a separation. Um, and maybe, you know, if you're in a school, it's, hey, you're done for this season. We'd love to have you try out again for next season because I really believe you can meet these standards next year. Yeah, Luke, you bring up so many great, great points. And, you know, even earlier, there were a couple of things you said, and I can just tell without ever being there that your place is a real program. It's not a team. And there are so many great things. And one of the things I was taught, and I bet you if I showed up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, I could walk into practice, I could close my eyes, and I could just listen, and I would know what your program was about and what your standards were. But I think so many high school coaches maybe could benefit if you can expand, because I think a lot of them aren't doing that classroom pre-practice or post-practice. And then even the consistent language in terms, if you know, if it's a drag screen, it's a drag screen as a ninth grader, 10th, 11th, but maybe expand on some of those that some of our coaches at any level really can learn 
just from that benefit of the classroom and then the consistency in terms and language. Yeah. Um, so culture creation, I think it's, I think it's huge. And it, it starts with defining it. We've got to define it. And so here's kind of the process of the activity we've, we've taken our little ninth grade team through the last few seasons as we get into a classroom and we first just pose the question, Hey, what do you guys want to accomplish this season? And inevitably, Hey, we want to go undefeated, undefeated. We want to beat our rival. Like we want to, you know, which is great. And, and, and we say, those are fantastic goals. Great. I hope we, I hope we can accomplish all of them, but here's the more important question. Who do we need to be to accomplish those? Who do we need to be as a team to accomplish those? And so um, very uh, intentionally group athletes in, in small groups of three or four. And I say, turn and talk to those people for 30, 45 seconds. You know, what kind of team, who do we need to be to accomplish those goals? And I love to add this question there. If Eric Musselman, the U of A's basketball coach came into our practice. You know, what would you want him to say about our team if he watched us practice or watched us play? And then we have them talk about it, right? And then we we share it um, as as a whole group, and we just start brainstorming. Like, hey, we want to be you know all out. We want to be a player led team. We want to be great at communicating. We want to be you know max effort. Whatever it is, they start sharing these things. And and again, it's like things that as a coach, like yes, this is what I want, right? And you can kind of do this next part in one of two ways. You could first have um, like some mantras or phrases that you kind of want to use and kind of fit those words that they share into them. Like, for example, last year we used uh, all out and all together. Those were our mantras or phrases. Um, and, and we kind of took those words that we shared and put them under those different categories. Oh, okay, so, you know, a player-led team or great communicators, that's really about being all together, right? All out, that's really about our effort. That's really about showing up on time. It, those things that they shared. And so we define it really clearly. We say, this is who we want to be this season. You know, we're going to be these things. And then the next step is to contextualize it, which really means how do we bring these values, this identity to life and the different contexts that will be in the season. But before they really get into, you know, these individual contexts, it's really important for them to just consider the question, like, uh, who do you represent when you're a part of this team and where do you represent this team? And, and just having them talk and share some of those ideas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually we represent the school. We represent our families. And, you know, if you, if you have a faith, you represent your faith, right? You represent your teachers and just getting them to consider like, man, this is bigger than me. Oh, I represent the alumni. Like I represent all these people that have come, come before me in this program. And then that question of you, okay, so where are you representing them? And they're going to be like the classroom, blah, blah, blah. They'll share some of the obvious places. And then, and then you're probably gonna to have to guide them or help them. Oh, and, and also you represent our program on social media. And, and also you represent our program when you're at Chick-fil-A um, ordering after school. And also you represent our, pro like you represent our program all the time. And then that question is, so what does it look like to live out our identity what does it look like to live out our identity in these different contexts? You know, so during practice, if you guys have said we wanted to be an all out altogether team, what does that actually look like during practice? What are the behaviors I would see? And that's really the key is we want to talk about behaviors, right? We want to stay away from some generic things. Um, we want to talk about the behaviors that, that I would actually, you know, I'm going to see you sprinting between drills, right? Our transitions are going to be lightning fast, right? Um, 
when with communication, I'm going to see, uh, or I'm going to hear you using people's names and, and keeping a positive tone in our practice, right? We're going to get really specific about the behaviors uh, that we want to see. That takes a while. Um, one of the things that we've done uh, the last year or two is, is we've kind of had them consider those contexts and then essentially we've given them kind of like a, a template to fill in. So, you know, we've got our identity at the top and then on the side, uh, we've got uh, these different contexts that we want them to consider and maybe even some that we add or they add. Um, and if any coach wants to see an example of this document that we kind of do with them, um, please send me, send me an email. I'd be happy to, to share that with you. I can uh, share my email at the end. But yeah, we go through and we contextualize it. And then this, this is where it's, it's um, won or lost. Your culture is won or lost. Is how do, you, how do you systematize it? How do you make your culture into habits? And so one of the things that I picked up from PGC Basketball when I started getting involved with them is just the way that they do celebrations. They do celebrations at the end of every practice. And if you're not familiar with it, all a celebration is, celebration is, is uh, you get your guys in a circle, right? It could be before, after practice, it could be both. And you just take a few seconds to recognize um, a player and let players recognize each other for where they saw um, each other live out our team's values, right? And so this is, again, this is where it actually um, comes to life is you start to call out those behaviors that they agreed to in the classroom when you get onto the court and when you get onto the game and when you get that good report from their teacher about how they're doing in class and you start to celebrate it in front of everyone, right? And it creates this incredible positive peer pressure of, man, this place is different. We do things differently here, right? Um, and we use that language with our, with our kids a lot. Like, hey, being part of this team, um, you have different standards than the rest of the kids in the school. We do things differently here. Yeah, I, I know that you probably have friends that are skipping class. That's not how we do things here, right? Um, and and then really celebrating kids when when they do it. And, and that is just such a key piece of bringing that culture to life. And then I'll add one more thing that, that really is connected with that celebration, that bringing it to life and recognizing when our athletes are living out our, our culture, our values is I think it's really powerful to have a, or, or multiple cultural artifacts. And, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, and, and again, this is something I stole from Doug Lamov's book. Uh, I, this last spring, I coached a, uh, an AAU team of, of 10 year olds and, I was pretty intentional, not in that same classroom way, but did did some other things that were a little bit more condensed of of trying to create a culture with them from the start. And about a month or so into the season, uh, I was reading the coach's guide to teaching and, and reading the chapter in there about culture. And uh, there's a coach that Doug's talking to that talks about cultural artifacts. And he uses the example of a golden plunger. He's like, go buy a plunger, spray paint it gold, and then give this plunger out for your player that does the dirty work, right? And so I was like, oh, well, I love this idea. This is so good. And so I literally went to Home Depot, bought a plunger, spray painted a gold. And then what I did is I went to uh, practice the next week or two, and I just carried this golden plunger with me. And again, this is a team of 10-year-olds. And they're like, why do you have a plunger? Why is it gold? Like you can imagine a 10-year-old mind seeing a golden plunger at practice. Like they're 
so goofy. Uh, and I just had it with me and kind of built up this kind of mystique about it. I just, I just kept bringing it with me and I said, Hey guys, after our, after our next games at the end of our second game, uh, I'll tell you what this is. And, and so we have our games on the Saturday and we meet after the second game and I say, Hey guys, this is the golden plunger. And we give it out to the teammate that does the dirty work. And they all, they all, they're like, oh, this is awesome. But here's the most important part. I said, what kind of things are the dirty work for us? And then they started to list them. Oh, it's the, it's the kid that's diving on the floor for the loose balls. Oh, it's the, it's the kid that is fighting for rebounds. Oh, it's actually, it's the kid that runs really hard all the way to the corner in transition. And even though they don't get the ball, they create space for their teammate right? It's the kid who, when he catches the ball, he looks up the floor for a teammate in transition. That's the dirty work for us. I was like, yes, exactly. That's it. And I said, who do you guys think should get the golden plunger for today's games? And they all just pointed at the same kid. And that's when you know that your culture has begun to come to life, when your values are actually being lived out because your kids can name them. They can celebrate them. Um, And so I, I think that that is just another a, a key piece of how you can really bring that culture alive. And um, yeah, so just just to kind of to recap that, you've got to define it, uh, you got to contextualize it, and then you've got to kind of systematize it, build it into your program systems that um, create habits when you celebrate it and remind them about it. I, I forgot to mention that part, but that's a huge piece of it too. Is like we just need to give them good reminders sometimes. Hey guys, reminder: what are our standards when we leave a bus? Right, and, and that's all. That's all it needs. What did we agree to? We were going to do with the bus, and inevitably they'll walk off the bus, and there's a bunch of trash. And here's what most coaches do, a lecture, running, whatever. Instead, just be like, hey, guys, remind me what our standard was. Oh, coach, we were going to leave the bus better than we found it, blah, blah, blah. We didn't do that. Let's go clean the bus now. Like, that's it. That, like that's Give them a do-over, right? Um, remind them of the standard, have them do it again the right way, and then say, that's it. That's what I expect every time. That was a lot of me talking. Any follow-up questions to that? No, that is that is just great, a, a great overview of, of of building a culture and instilling it. And like you said, you're it's not like you're dictating it to them. It's coming from them, and you're yeah. just serving as the, you know, the reminder and, and just the one that's helping them to, you know, to 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 stay consistent with it. Luke, the the your podcast, yeah, the the, the guest list is amazing you have had some some Thanks. some really great people on i'm a huge fan of cody royal mm-hmm. uh, known brian mccormick for years you know we, yeah. we go way back uh, you know got to know jp the last couple of years chris and, and alex have become very close friends i'm jealous that you got safe sefu bernard on because i just think he's just dude wonderful. that dude is high level man he, he's amazing so he what i'd like to do is talk kind of give us some um maybe some best some some learning, some things from you know from your guests that have really just stood out, made you just go, "Wow, that's good." Wow, that's such a hard question. Uh, well, let me. I guess I'll say this: so many of my conversations have come back to to this place, and it's really crystallized for me as as my vision for what I'm doing to serve coaches. Is that as coaches, we can develop both high-performing teams 
and high character people that those aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, uh, Dr. Julie McCleary, she's a researcher at the University of Washington. She likes to say that those things are mutually reinforcing. And, and I just believe that. That was my experience as an athlete. That's my goal as a coach, right? I want my team to perform at a high level to reach their potential athletically, right? And their performance. And I, would, I just want to develop amazing people, right? I, I want to um, have those relationships 10, 20, 30 years down the road, um, where I see the success that my athletes are having in life. Right. And so that has just been such a, a, a beautiful thread that's run through so many of the conversations is we can do both. We can do both. Um, but it starts with us as the coach committing to do both and, and seeing that, man, there's a better way than most of us were coached. As far as, Maybe some key learnings for me as I've had these conversations beyond that. I think some of the things that have been really um, impactful for me have been some of the conversations around just the importance of coach well-being uh, as far as for you personally, um, th that really we can't give our best to our athletes or our program or, or whatever stakeholders that um, are connected to, to our team unless uh, we're in a good place personally. And and life is honestly really hard. You know, coaching's hard, life's hard. And it's so important that uh, we are taking care of ourselves and we have people that uh, care enough about us to tell us the truth when we need to hear it. As far as you're not you're not a healthy you right now. I had a conversation with with Mike Shaw. He's an assistant women's volleyball coach at University of North Carolina, and I mean, he just shared some just really profound and honest things around that, and even how um, he had to walk away from coaching for a while because he just couldn't be present anywhere when he was coaching. He he was feeling like he needed to be with his family when he was with his family, he was feeling the pressure to coach. And so I think that that's just a thing that I think a lot of coaches struggle with because it is such a, a time demanding profession um, is being able to, to show up as a healthy version of themselves. Right. Um, and then another key learning, a lot of the conversations has been around practice design. Um, I, I just, I love, I love this topic and, and how do we actually design practices that help players get better at playing the game? And, you know, if I had to put it into a, a sentence or two, it would really be about making sure that what we're doing is connecting perception and action that those are connected and, and perception is what are they seeing and action is executing the skill. Right. And so when you, when we talk about basketball, it really is like, man, we've got to play offense versus defense. That's, that is perception and action. Like what, what can we do to trim the fat or cut the fluff from our practices so that we are maximizing our time, helping our players get better at the game. I, I just shared a podcast episode this week with Lynn Dunn. She was a longtime college and professional women's basketball coach. And man, she is one, just has the most incredible Southern accent. And then two, just is so passionate about wise use of practice time. 
and just shared some awesome things on it. And, and I think that's huge, right? Like we've got to be um, using practice time wisely, effectively, so that we're actually helping them improve. Because the reality of what our athletes want is I really believe it's two things. They just want to know that we care about them as people and we can actually help them get better at the game. They want to get better at the game. And so the, the way we use our practice time is just central, obviously, to helping them get better at the game. We've got to use it effectively. We need to be connecting perception and action. Like, it, you know, if, if, if I was training a group of, of youth coaches or even high school coaches or they're asking for advice, I'd say, man, if you've got a 90-minute practice, maximum 10% can be unopposed. Like, you've got nine minutes that you can do five on zero, three on zero, whatever. The rest of it, you got to have offense, defense, right? And maybe it's guided defense, whatever. Like you can get creative with it, but we've got to make sure that we're actually connecting the skills with the decisions or reads that they're going to make in a game if we want these things to actually transfer and show up in the games. All right, let's talk about favorite books Favorite podcast? I, I know two books. You mentioned the uh, the Dr. Bruce Perry book. Obviously, Doug Lamont's book is it, it, required reading. I think right now for coaches. Yeah. What are some other titles that you would recommend? And then besides your podcast, sure. What other podcasts would you recommend as well? Yeah, good question. Uh, okay, books. Man, I love I love to read. Uh, I one of the books that I read early on on my coaching journey was inside out coaching by Joe Ehrman. Um, if you haven't read that, I'd, I just highly recommend it. Like I said, I had a really positive sport experience, which is fairly unique, right? Unfortunately, even a lot of coaches, I think they had a sport experience that, that has a good amount of negative in it. Um, usually connected to the coaches that they had. Uh, but I would highly recommend that book. It helped me put a lot of words to the experiences I have really understanding my own sports narrative and then really helped me crystallize my vision for, for who I wanted to be as a coach and the impact that I want to make as a coach. So that would be my first one. Um, the culture code by Daniel Coyle, such a popular book. I think a lot of coaches have read it. If you haven't really, really good, all about culture, um, kind of the three key characteristics of high performing groups and high performing cultures. Um, I would also say uh, the 21st Century Basketball Practice by Brian McCormick, a uh, really good book as well. Um, and, and that's another one that, uh, and I, I did this with the Coach's Guide to Teaching. I mentioned the study guide, but I also took like 70 pages of notes on the Coach's Guide to Teaching. And I took about 30 pages of notes on the 21st Century Basketball Practice. Um, if coaches want those, I can I can give you those links Um to put in, in the show details guys. But, um, I took those notes just as I was reading and learning through them and they've just been so helpful for me to go back to and reference and, and Brian's book, um, just really good around what we were just talking about with practice and practice design and how do we actually design a practice that helps our players get better. And especially within the context of modern basketball, where we want positionless players and, and all around basketball players. I think that's a really important read for basketball coaches. Um, and then I would also, man, such, that's such a hard question. Uh, a couple of my other favorites as far as coaching, uh, legacy by James Kerr about the New Zealand all blacks, really good read. Um, also love John O'Sullivan's book. Every moment matters. 
um, those, those are, those are some of my favorite coaching books for sure. If you would have given me more time, I might've curated my list a little bit more. Oh, we um, can always come back. We can always yeah. come back and do a part two, Luke. There there, there's, there's no yeah. issues at all on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a podcast, you asked about podcast. Um, JP Nurban has become a, a, a good friend of mine and his podcast, the coaching culture podcast, such good stuff. Um, you know, I, I have tremendous respect for JP just because he is like, what you see is what you get. He's a very, he's very authentic. Um, and, and I, I just really, um, I've gotten a lot of value from the content that he shared with coaches. It's helped me on my journey. And so I love, love what he's doing there. I'll also connect with, with Matt Smith and United basketball. Um, he shares a lot of good stuff on, on his podcast. Um, and then, yeah, th- those are those are a couple of podcasts I listen to on the coaching front. I also love uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead podcast. Um, big fan of her work as well. Um, actually, I, I would add to my book recommendations Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I think that should be required reading for coaches as well. Uh, so much good stuff in there on leadership and really kind of connecting back to what I said earlier. Right? How do we how do we lead in a way that uh, develops a high performing team? and uh, high character people, right? An environment that does both things. Luke, you brought up, I mean, so many things. It was funny. I had scribbled down the inside out coaching and I probably hadn't read it, you know, till I was coaching 20 years and it was so, so impactful. And, um, you know, I think coaching education, again, I always, Layson and I will go back differences about players, European style versus American style. But I think coaching education, even European coaches are ahead of us. For a while, I always say, you know, you're a know-it-all or learn-it-all. And I think a lot of us, you know, think we know it all, you know, and you kind of might listen to a podcast, read a book, you know, but then it's, nah, you know, you're stuck, I think. Coaching education is so much of the future. And uh, one of the things when you were talking about your school, I I don't know where I saw it, but when it talked about the standard of the program, what they did on, you know, how Fridays people get to wear jerseys to class and stuff. They had their team or varsity team, whatever it is, give the jersey to their favorite teacher and Mm. explain why they were the teacher. Not just because I like you, but how yeah. you teach and impactful yeah. and, and different things like that. And, you know, we could go on forever. I'll give you a couple fun questions that, uh, you know, we have on our website that Layson and I answer. Tell me your favorite app on your iPhone. What's your go-to app? Man. Wow. Uh, can I be honest with you? So it's, it's probably Twitter, but the irony is I really don't like social media. Um, Twitter's the only social media I, I do. And um, I, I started doing it kind of early on in my coaching journey just because I actually saw that like, oh, there's some value here for, for coaches on Twitter. Um, and as I've done my podcast, it's just kind of been an inevitable piece of trying to get the word out about it and, and kind of grow an audience and, and, and ultimately deliver what I think are some valuable conversations to coaches, um, and hopefully, um, reach, reach more of them with the message. So I, I guess Twitter, like I, I'm on, yeah, I'm on it. Um, 
and, and fairly active on it. Uh, but I don't, I don't love it. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really love my phone either. Like I, I'm trying to, to limit it and it's important for me to stay present where I am. Phones make that really hard. Um, so yeah, that's not a great answer to your question, but just being honest. No, here's our next one. You're coming in and you talked about baseball. Bottom of the ninth inning, you're at home, you're coming in from the bullpen. What's your song to get the crowd ready for you to close the game? Wow. Uh, man, such a good question. You know, I uh, 300 Violin Orchestra gets me pumped up. You know, just it just makes me it makes me feel ready for a game. I, I guess I'll go with that. Great. My last one. Your favorite and your young father, your favorite carnival ride. <laughs> um, man, you know, we actually, we took my son to his first carnival a few months ago and my wife and I left and we're just like, man, I feel just dirty after going to a carnival. It was like really dusty outside too. It's like, you, you don't realize that when you're a three-year-old, you just think that these rides are incredible. Um, favorite carnival ride, man, I don't know. I rode this little dragon tiny roller coaster with my with my son that he kind of liked was kind of terrified of i guess that's what i'll go with great Layson. this has been so much fun we could go on forever with luke and we could just stay here and throw out any topic but luke this has been great i i just had a great great time thanks guys I, yeah i appreciate you guys having me on a ton luke before we close out tell tell our audience about the, the book clubs that you're running right now, your resources, where coaches can find you, uh, just give you a, a chance to kind of share of that. Yep. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, best places to connect easily and kind of get access to all these links um, on Twitter at Luke Gromer or at coaches club underscore from there, you can kind of navigate to the links, but I'll, I'll just share a little bit about those book clubs that you mentioned uh, Layson. Yeah. So I co-wrote the study guide to the coaches guide to teaching with Doug Lamov and I've been running some virtual book clubs um, on the book. And actually in those virtual book clubs, we just hit on chapter three, which is all about feedback in the book. And if you haven't read the book, it's kind of like a college textbook. Like uh, Doug likes to say that it's uh, it's a whiskey book. Like it is a, it's a slow read. It takes some time to get through it. But yeah, this, uh, the book club's four weeks long. We hit on chapter three um, and we uh, have a, a guest Q&A slash film session uh, with Doug as part of the book club. He's been really gracious to come and just share with coaches, answer their questions, and, and really fun. We've gotten to watch some film of coaches' practices that are in the book clubs, and he gives some feedback. Coaches ask questions. Just um, a ton of fun there. And you can, you can sign up for those book clubs at CGT bookclubs.com. Uh, um, and if you are interested in some of those notes that I mentioned, um, I can, I'll, I'll give you those links, Layson, and, and maybe you could put those in the show details. Um, maybe just check, check out there, um, for those links to, to some of those coaching notes that I mentioned. Um, and you can find, uh, my podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, search for coaches club, or just search my name, Luke Gromer. It should come up there uh, pretty easily. Um, yeah, and, and would love to connect with any coaches that, that find this valuable. Um, you can send me an email at luke at transformsport.org um, if you have questions or, or want access to some of these resources. I um, would love to connect with anybody.
Luke, thank you again for taking time out of your schedule. You know, we, we know what between teaching and coaching and being a dad and with a, a congratulations with the, yeah. another one on the way. Yeah, uh, a a lot of lot going on. Plus, you know, also, you know, continuing to sharpen your sword and 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 continuing to to, you know, to add more, you know, more things to your uh, toolbox, so to speak. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. For you coaches listening, thank you for being a part of this today. We look forward to connecting with you again in the future.